welcome to the Bartender Atlas podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of Bartender Atlas, Josh Lindley. On this episode, I chat with Victoria Blaithwaite of Cookie in Melbourne. Before that, though, I want to take some time, say that I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. There's a lot going on everywhere right now. Surely a lot of you listening are in the midst of reopening your bars and restaurants, and hopefully you're taking the time to implement some more equitable systems in your spaces. I know it's a lot, and listening to a bartender podcast might not be at the top of your list of priorities, so thank you for taking the time. Now, on this episode, Victoria Blathwaite and I talk about how a background in musical theater makes working behind a bar seem easy, and what it was like for her to transition while working in Melbourne. Here's Tori on the Bartender Atlas podcast. Victoria, where did you grow up? I actually grew up in a small town in New Zealand, just shortly north of uh, Wellington. It's about an hour and a half north. So imagine Uh, most of the people listening to this are from North America. Is that the North Island or the South Island? It is in the bottom part of the North Island of New Zealand. (laughs) What sort of school did you go to when you were growing up, like younger, before high school? Um, So we went to – in New Zealand we had a – primary school system, which is essentially the the equivalent of elementary school. Um, so between ages five to ten we would attend um, we would attend school there for our primary schooling. And then we'd actually have what we call an intermediate um, schooling, which is there's two years, the ages of eleven and twelve normally, mm-hmm. where you would spend in sort of a almost a preparatory school before you went to high school. At that age, when you were in, you know, pre-high school stuff, what sort of extracurriculars were you into? Did you play music? Did you play sports? What all were you into? I dabbled in a little bit of everything, to be honest. Um, I liked music, but I wasn't really getting into it. It was only about then that I started discovering my love for singing. Uh, I used to play hockey, uh, field hockey, Mm -hmm. those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, um, which was fantastic way to keep fit. It wasn't something that I was passionate about, but it was something that I definitely followed um, during my entire um, school life. So yeah, most of it was um, yeah, most of it was pretty chilled out. And in New Zealand, we also have um, the scouting movement as well, which is open to both men and women, boys and girls. And I was very heavily involved in the scouting movement. Yeah, like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Lord Baden-Powell and all that. That's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah. You're talking to a former Boy Scout. There we go. You know it. You know it already. (laughs) I know know how to tie some knots and sew some patches. Uh, And then when you went to high school, did you continue with those uh, extracurriculars? I did indeed. Um, So I kept up hockey throughout high school because it was just, as I said, it just became kind of a little bit of a fun thing to to do and to continue on to keep my fitness up. Um, on top of that, I performed very extensively in these school shows and school productions. Um, one of my goals from my first year was to achieve a what we called a five-year drama certificate, which we got for um, completing every single uh, school production in our schooling years. So I was in five school shows during that time. So- um between the yeah. between doing the shows and field hockey, do you feel like working on a team like that affects the way that you work uh, in bars and restaurants now? I would definitely say so. Everybody has their part to play and everyone needs to be in the right position. 
Um, and if somebody's out of line, either the show falls to pieces and looks really weird or the team doesn't quite have a player in the right spot in order to receive the ball to score a goal. So, yeah, 100%, I definitely feel like that's that's carried through into my life as a bartender too. Uh, and were there any shows that really stick out in your memory as being a favorite that you were a part of? Uh, Les Miserables would have to be my absolute favorite. Um, it became one of my all-time favorite shows um, just as a whole. I love the storyline to it, and um, the music is very, very powerful. So, yeah, it became a very, very strong love of mine. What role did you play? I was only 13 at the time. I actually understudied the character of Gavroche um, because my voice back then was high enough to, to be able to play it, so I could. Yeah, there was somebody else who got cast just with a bit more talent than what I had. So uh, he got the role over me full time. Did you, uh, but I did perform once or twice when he needed a break. So it was fun. I was going to say, did you feel like you maybe got to immerse yourself more in the entire production because you didn't have the pressure of having to be on stage for every show of it? Uh, I was still actually cast as the ensemble. Oh, okay. So I still managed to actually... Um, yeah, when I wasn't um, playing Gavroche in, in my role as understudy, I still had to know all the lines for the ensemble as well. So that was um, that was definitely an interesting an interesting piece because I had to know more of the show than probably any of the other any of the lead characters themselves had to. Real uh, general manager energy. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and did you do university after high school? I didn't do university per se. I did actually study at, and I know I'm going to have a few cringy, a uh, few people cringing when I say this. I did study at a um, bar and restaurant institution for my tertiary. Okay, look, so, there is no point in doing podcasts about where bartenders come from if there isn't at least a little cringe. One hundred percent. To be honest, I. Like, I see a lot of these people who do come out of bartending schools and, you know, you have some good ones and you have some that maybe not so good. But I feel like I benefited from this course because it was a um, it was primarily designed as a business diploma mm -hmm. with a focus on the hospitality industry. So the first year, the certificate year, was actually all about um, supervision and operations of a uh, of a bar and restaurant situation or of a hospitality establishment. And so, yeah, so it definitely allowed for a lot more um, for me to go into the industry with a little bit of a base level of knowledge, um, especially seeing as realistically my first bar job wasn't until I was 21, whereas a lot of other people who I knew my age had started at the ages of 14. So it kind of gave me some background information that I didn't, previously have that quite a few others did that is quite a head start i know f for myself and for a lot of people i know you don't really learn about management and costing and all of that until you're a few years in and been behind a bar or waiting tables for a while that's a uh, that's quite the head start where did you take that course uh that was actually offered in uh in wellington in new zealand new zealand's capital mm -hmm. so um it was quite an easy commute for me initially. I used to just have to travel an hour and a half to get down to my course every morning. Um, shortly after that, I moved permanently to Wellington because it was easier to find find work in Wellington 
uh, without having to do what amounted to three hours worth of travel every day. Yeah, no kidding. Um, That's a commute. So, yeah. How long were you in Wellington for? (laughs) Um, On and off, I lived in Wellington for six years before I um, chose to make the move over to Melbourne, Australia. Uh, What sort of jobs were you doing when you were in Wellington? Uh, Primarily bar work, to be honest. I worked at several different establishments, my first one ever being uh, Betty's Bar, which is on uh, Blair Street in Wellington. It's just off the main drinking strip of of Wellington's entertainment hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was kind of like my first introduction to the to the industry. I worked as a yakitori chef at a at a Japanese izakaya located in in Wellington as well for a time. When you were doing your restaurant bar management course, did was there knife skills classes involved in that as well? Not so much. The um, that course was more focused around um, front of house, mm-hmm. um, bartending, waiting, and um, yeah, just basic front of house skills uh, for the practical aspects of it. Anyway, um, so I wasn't really spending a lot of time learning kitchen skills. We'd learn basic like prep work for things like bar garnishing and things, but we didn't really learn much in the way of um, in the way of cooking. I'm so curious um, about the yakitori chef job. Just, uh, you know, you talk to enough bartenders that have done kitchen work, of course, but yakitori chef specifically. Yeah, it was definitely very different. Um, like I have a lot of friends who are very well versed in Western um, and European cooking styles. Um, but because I actually spent some time in Japan uh, in my youth and I speak the language a little, still kind of do. Uh, I was able to uh, essentially pick up a role as a waitress there. And then they, um, one of my best friends was actually the yakitori chef. And he started teaching me how to cook yakitori, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's Japanese skewer foods that's often cooked on a charcoal or gas grill plate. Uh, and the cool thing with yakitori is it's... Um, you're seated at a bar in front of the chef who's cooking it for you. So not to be confused with uh, teppanyaki, which is a big iron plate, which often has the shows behind it. Um, Yakitori was more of a street food style of thing that got adapted into izakaya, which are Japanese-style pubs. This is such a good background for your entire career. It's excellent. So you were in Wellington for about six years and then you decided to move to Melbourne. What brought that on? A couple of reasons, actually. Uh, First off, uh, one of the major, major sort of reasons behind it was I wanted to learn more about the hospitality industry and Melbourne being one of the best hotspots for hospitality in the Southern Hemisphere. I definitely wanted to come along and spend some time here. I actually came on holiday with my parents when I was uh, 24, came on holiday, family holiday, and um, just fell in love with with the state of Victoria and, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And then one of the other motivating factors was the fact that um, as a transgender woman who was not out yet, I thought it would be easier to come over to Melbourne where there was a little bit more acceptance for the LGBT community so that I could start my transition. 
I'd like to touch on that a little more in a minute. But uh, when you first got to Melbourne, a kid, I guess, how old were you when you first moved there? Uh, I was 26. Right. So 26, you moved to a new city. Uh, Did you find jobs in bars right away or did you kind of have to hack it out for a bit? I was actually incredibly lucky and I got a job almost immediately. Um, I had, yeah, all I had was a resume and a friend's couch to crash on. And I happened to luck out and got myself a job at a venue called The Ugly Duckling, which is a tiny little cocktail and wine bar. And I had the insane pleasure of working under uh, a man by the name of Nick Salvadore alongside another man named uh, Jimmy Burchett. And the two of them were became my mentors for the time that I was there. And I learned a lot of really strong cocktail skills and was really, really, really lucky to work under them. They're both insane bartenders. And, yeah, I was just very, very blessed to have have their tutelage to work under. It's always nice to have a, a good sounding board slash, you know, philosophers sort of throwing ideas at you, yeah? Oh, 100%. And so... Uh, these two gents give you some cocktail knowledge, and uh, I'd like to set the stage a little bit. For the night that we met, um, where you threw your hat in the ring, this weird couple from Canada comes and is throwing a Canadian whiskey competition, and you've decided that you're going to take part in it. I'm going to let you tell the story from your side of the bar. I don't know how much of it you remember, and I didn't really prep you to try to remember all this. But... uh, (laughs) I, you know, I, I was jet lagged and I was judging a whiskey competition and given a quick little overview of the uh, Pike Creek and Lot 40 brands that we were using that night. Could you tell me your side of that story? Because your presentation that night was something to behold. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll do my best to be able to remember it entirely. Um, it was actually quite funny because I was thinking about it the other day because I think it was two days ago that it was the three-year anniversary of that very event. That sounds right, yeah. Um, yeah, it came up on my Facebook timeline, and I had to have a little bit of a laugh about it because, you know, there's a few people that have changed in there, and there's a few not so much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, back then I was working still at the Ugly Duckling, I believe, and turned up to this really, really cool night. And, honestly, the thing that really stood out to me the most was the welcoming community. Uh, everybody in there was was really, really lovely. Um, A few of those people who I did get to meet, I still um, am very, very close with, still contact regularly and still work alongside, which is really, really cool. Um, But for me, from what I remember, I've always been a little bit of a showman. Um, So I, I got up there and I had this idea to make essentially I believe it was a bourbon maple syrup flip because maple syrup was my secret ingredient for that day and being the little pyromaniac that I am and actually bringing in the yakitori skills that I did I decided that I was going to um, torch the top of my drink in an attempt to creme brulee it I believe I almost uh, took out one of the judge's eyebrows (laughs) with with the said torch um, but yeah, it was, it was all a bit of fun. Um, as I said, it was three years ago, so the memory's a little hazy on it, but I very much enjoyed being able to just get that sense of community in there and have a little bit of fun and, you know, pull out the stage presence again. 
like I'm a little biased because obviously Bartender Atlas was running that event, but uh, as a judge, even though I almost got lit on fire, it was still one of the <laughs> best competition presentations I've ever seen. And since that time, we're going to go back now. Since that time, not long after we met, uh, you began to outwardly transition. You came out. And you currently yeah. identify as a woman, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, we all know that the service industry, by nature, we're welcoming people. There's very little judgment. Uh, and Melbourne especially is, like you were saying before, a world-class city, uh, not just in food and drink, but really just overall Melbourne is one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, could you share a little about your transition and how you felt and if you felt supported in Melbourne amongst the industry specifically? Yeah, um, I'm actually glad you brought this up. It's a really, really nice one for me to be able to answer because it's a it's a positive story amongst what I noticed to be quite a few, sorry, not so uh, positive stories in certain aspects um, when it re- comes to transition. Um, so when I when I decided that I was going to start my social transition and finally come out and be who I actually am. I was working at a high-end restaurant in the city, and I had a feeling that if I tried to do anything there, it would be maybe frowned upon by the more corporate uh, aspects of, um, you know, of of the hospitality industry and make it just a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, I had a friend who asked me to come and uh, do a rock star shift at their venue, um, and this venue was Polly. It's uh, just turned 20 years old, actually. Um, Sorry. And it's really, really lovely. Sorry. Victoria, I'm going to stop you for just one second. Um, I, I, I'm lucky enough that I've gotten to do some guest shifts in Australia. But uh, anyone else listening, a rock star shift is like a guest spot or like if someone calls out sick and you need a bartender right away, that's what a rock star shift is. Yeah? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't realize that that was not quite a such such a global term. <laughs> no, no, it's it's funny. It's not, but it's also the sort of thing that like it doesn't take long as a service industry professional to figure out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry. Go on. No, no, not a problem. Um, so I I've been lucky enough to pick up a guest guest shift at Polly. Um, the bar manager there was quite impressed with my skills and. Uh, invited me to come on board. Uh, within a couple of weeks, I sat down with him and I said to him, hey, look, I need to talk to you about this. I'm a transgender woman and I'd like to be able to start coming to work um, dressed as a woman and presenting as a woman. And he turned around and he's like, that's perfectly fine. Not a problem at all. Um, obviously, you know, keep to the dress code. Like that was, that was literally the only thing. It's like keep to the uniform standards of the bar, you know, uh, other than that, live your best life. Um, so that was, that was two years ago now. And in that time, pretty much everybody I, who I know in the um, bartending community has been amazingly supportive, uh, just really, really wonderful, lots of acceptance, um, I can't even begin to count how many uh, items of clothing I've been donated to hmm. from um, girls in the industry. Um, and as a whole, I feel like 
it hasn't affected my career at all, which was one thing I was kind of a little concerned about. Um, but no, everybody's actually been really, really welcoming of it. And a lot of people have sp stepped forward and spoken up about how proud they are of, of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And that to me is, is really, really cool having that support in a work environment that um, is very, very publicly noticeable and in the public eye to have that support when normally, ordinarily, a lot of um, transgender people generally tend to take roles outside of the public eye so they can be a little bit more um, circumspect about their transition and sort of avoid a lot of the backlash that can often come with transition. So, yeah, just really beautiful time, I guess. It's, uh, it's really nice to hear you say that, especially because, as we've already established, you uh, are kind of a show person. You were in shows five years in a row in high school. And so for you to go through this transition and have to hide any part of it um, would probably add another layer of stress to the entire process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not something I wanted to do um, as far as hiding it goes. Uh, in, the, in the transgender community, we call it going in stealth. Mm -hmm. um, because we're trying to basically not reveal the fact that we that we are transgender. Unfortunately, there are people who disagree with us in our transition and will actively uh, work against us, both physically and online. So it can be quite difficult and quite scary. So for me, being able to have that level of support so openly in the career path that I've chosen has definitely been it's allowed me a bigger platform because then people can come in and talk to me and they, they know I'm just human. And it sort of breaks down that barrier separating um, me as a transgender woman from anybody else as any other type of human that they are. And so in, in Melbourne or even online, have you found a community of bartenders or service industry professionals that are also trans that you can sort of bounce off ideas or find a sort of support network? There's definitely uh, quite a few people who identify as some aspect of queer or um, trans in the, uh, in the industry around Melbourne. Uh, I actually... For a time prior to coming out, I used to perform in drag as sort of a way to express my more feminine nature and sort of to get it out. And there's a lot of bartenders in a lot of the bar community um, in the gay bars and things around the drag circles that tend to be some description of queer, drag queens, transgender. So it does make it easy to find a lot of that community. Um, also, since I also started doing burlesque last year as well. So as a burlesque performer, I do get to come across quite a few people who also come under the trans, LGBTQ, um, queer, gay, uh, lesbian banners. So oh. it's really, really helped with that aspect too, just to have this cute little tight-knit tight, tight -knit community of people around who I can just call on whenever I need to have a chat or... Um, bounce ideas off and it was actually a member of the hospitality community who I first approached um, who was also trans and I did ask him for some advice prior to coming out as well so it was quite nice to have somebody who was already very very strongly within the community who I could talk to um, before I even came out of the closet. 
Um, very important question. What was yeah. your who was your drag name? Who was your drag character? <laughs> um, so my drag character is named Domino, primarily because thanks to a leg in- injury, I can't walk in heels and I always fall over. Uh huh. <laughs> and is um, is that is that uh, Domino shtick on stage when performing? Uh, I try not to let it be her shtick because, like, honestly, it hurts when I do it. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, it has like there's been one or two tumbles um, that that have happened. Um, but thankfully, because her her whole aesthetic is very um, circus clown, uh, very ringmaster style aesthetic, it ends up being a part of the character. So it's quite good to be able to use something that's you know, a negative, an injury in a way that can be carried off as part of the character um, as much as I do try to avoid it. <laughs> has, has Domino ever done a bar shift? She has, actually. Um, one of the previous venues that I used to work at, we used to do um, Sundays, uh, actually under her previous name, which was uh, Sasha Storm. Uh, we used to do Sundays with Sasha where I'd actually turn up and work a shift and drag. Great name. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good time. There was also a um, one of the local bars here in Melbourne also ran a drag bartending competition, um, which, being the only actual drag queen in the competition, uh, I won. That's a, that's an unfair advantage, but uh, you got to take wins where you get them, right? It was a massively unfair advantage, but it was a <laughs> lot of fun, and it was great to see how some of the other bartenders. Um, approached the whole thing, um, so it was definitely it was definitely fun to see um, some some of these guys out there trying to walk around in heels and um, you know attempting a tuck, which is always an interesting uh, interesting <laughs> thing to see cis men do. I feel like uh, I have several questions about how to properly achieve <laughs> a tuck, but I don't know because it's an audio format. I don't know if uh, the listeners would really get anything out of it. I have a YouTube channel. It's on there. <laughs> That's am- How do people find your YouTube channel? What do they search? Um, Victoria Valkyrie. Uh, Valkyrie is actually my stage name as a burlesque performer. So I'm just up on there. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely like there's a few episodes that I have filmed that I've got a, that I want to re-film because they're not quite up to snuff. But I've got about five or six episodes on there detailing um, – sort of what it's like to be transgender and things that I've experienced. Um, and I did a live transgender Q and a, a few couple of months ago. Um, so yeah, so that was another sort of fun aspect of, of things that I was able to give to people while the lockdown was in place. Uh, I think it's really cool that you are taking your experience and sharing it so much so that should anyone have questions or, you know, um, feel like they need that kind of support and need to feel like they're not alone. You're there to sort of provide them with some answers. Um, I want to say from the other side of the world, you know, not that I'm stalking you or anything, but from the other side of the world, just seeing through social media, which I guess we're all stalking each other. Um, you really look like you're thriving, uh, both as a burlesque performer. And, um, recently I saw you modeling bondage gear as well. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm an alternative model. I'm actually published now, which is really, really cool. Congratulations. Um, 
thank you. Um, but yeah, so the the company I was actually the gear that I was in is actually a custom made piece um, made for me by a friend by a friend because I'm actually modeling for their website as well. So he's made me some custom latex mm-hmm. that I'll be able to model with. But yeah, the kink and fetish world is definitely another aspect of my uh, multifaceted personality, which has given me a lot of strength and acceptance in who I am and what I do. So yeah, definitely the the fetish and bondage side of things definitely makes a big, big impact on how I perceive myself and how I've grown as a human. And so when you're not modeling bondage gear and doing drag shows and whatnot, what bar are you working at currently or sort of currently? We'll get into that in a minute, <laughs> but where do you work right now? Um, so I actually have two, two jobs at the moment. I work for um, Cookie, which is a very well-established um, fusion bar. It's um, Thai food. It's a cocktail bar. It's a restaurant. It's a beer hall. Um, it's a very, very big establishment. And also I had the incredible luck, um, but unfortunate timing of just before COVID hit, I was hired by uh, Patient Wolf Gin, which is a local gin distillation company here in Melbourne. So very, very lucky to have scored that job. Um, They're both absolutely amazing venues to work in, and Patient Wolf has always been a dream job of mine since, since they came about. So I'm feeling very, very blessed to be a part of, to be a part of that team. Get a chance to be sort of on the nerdier side of things when you work at a distillery, right? Yeah, like I'm currently front of house, but the still is literally five meters away from where I'd tend bar normally. So it's very, very cool to be able to like sort of see some of the bits and pieces of the process of what goes into making gin. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're on the topic, obviously, uh, the whole world is uh, reopening in different stages or still closing down in different stages, depending on where you're at. Um, this isn't going to air for a week or two, but can you give us an idea of what's happening in Melbourne as far as reopening or precautions or how far along anything is? Give us a heads up. So Melbourne is tentatively reopening. There have been a few, a few bars and restaurants that are starting to reopen. Um, social distancing is definitely still a thing. Um, so there are severe limits on how many people can be inside venues. So certain venues are not uh, reopening yet because it's not viable for them to do so with the current limits in place. Um, but I know that that's, that's essentially what's in the works. Um, but there are a few bars, restaurants that are slowly starting to reopen. People are starting to want to come back out, socialize and see friends. Um, socially distant, of course. Um, here in Victoria, we just had a second spike in the corona cases um there's a lot of extenuating factors on that one um but yeah they've mainly been contained to certain suburbs so we should start to see an improvement within the next four weeks and hopefully a semi return to some semblance of normalcy within um hopefully by september i think we're all kind of hoping for september but it's definitely a difficult time because um for those of us who are not Australian citizens, getting government support has been very difficult. So, yeah, it's definitely been a time where it's like, we need money. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm going to try and bring us up again before uh, wrapping this. But uh, if there was a show 
like a proper put together musical act that came together in Melbourne made up of, I mean, let's say it's professionals, but let's be honest, it would be friends and family in the service industry. What show would you like to have happen and what role would you play in it? Oh, that's a really, really interesting one. <laughs> We've established that you already really liked Les Mis, but... I've got a couple of ideas and I'm just thinking how cool it would be to have. Yeah, so um, I would love I would love it if, uh, you know, we got the service industry peeps uh, involved with the, sh- with the show Rent, if you're familiar with it. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah. There's some certain um, number of minutes involved, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and also something uh, about a little chunk remember, of cash. I can't even remember <laughs> that number right now. <laughs> There are, like there are 525,600 minutes. There you go. I was going to say there's musical theater nerds that are going to be listening to this and very angry with both of us. <laughs> you very much so. Um, but to answer the rest of the question, I would probably like to play Mimi, um, who is she's one of the lead roles. She's an exotic dancer at, uh, at a nightclub that's featured in the that's featured in the musical as well. She lives downstairs from a couple of the other main characters and is one of the main characters' love interests. There Uh, we are. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. Victoria, again, thank you for taking the time. If people want to find you, if people want to see what you're up to, if they want to see what shows and uh, what Domino is up to and maybe want to reach out if they identify with you, uh, how do they find you? Um, Pretty much all of my social media now that's accessible through public means is under Victoria Valkyrie. So for Instagram, it's victoriavalkyrie.tg. The TG stands for transgender. Um, and then through YouTube, um, Victoria Valkyrie. And uh, also with my up-and-coming podcast, that's called Trans Femme Fatale. Great name for a podcast. Wow. I thought it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's really good. Again, uh, Victoria, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, no worries at all, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks again, Tori, for being so open and fun. I'm Josh Lindley. If you want to find me, I'm at Bartender Atlas on all social media. In a couple weeks, I'll be back with someone else doing good things in the drinks business. In the meantime and in between time, be well and make it count.